0: Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast. For the week of Sunday, December 21st, 2013, I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And the final day of the 2013 Division III football season wraps in really incredible fashion. We have the first 30 minutes, a 21-14 game in which... Whitewater leads, but Mountain Union scores with under 30 seconds to go in the half. Gets the ball coming out first in the second half. And you get a chance to think that, yeah, we're going to have another great uh, Stag Bowl, another great meeting between these two teams. And then the wheels fell off, and then the rails disintegrated, and just nothing went right for Mountain Union in the second half. Can't hang on to the football. They had a minus three turnover margin on the Knights. And boy, Whitewater just did seemingly everything right. Well, and and we could have maybe seen this coming in the
1: sense that the past couple of weeks Whitewater got down big, 17 points to Linfield, made those adjustments in the second half, dominated the second half, got down 12-0 at Mary Harden Baylor, made those adjustments in the second half, won 16-15. But I don't think I I foresaw in any way whatsoever 52-14, which was the uh, the final score of the Stag Bowl here tonight. Pat, you mentioned 21-14 at the half. The huge, huge play. I'm going to catch my breath. I shouldn't. Yeah. Have, I I'm shouldn't sorry, have run up
0: those stairs. I <laughs> will uh, <laughs> hold on to you for a second. The 5214. That that's a kind of score that reminds me of uh Mountain Union semi-final wins and you know big games. not we haven't had a stag bowl like this since uh 2002 in which the the one in which uh you know uh Trinity, Texas got the doors blown off of it by Mountain Union in a, score, a game that I believe ended up 48 to nothing. Um, and to see Mountain Union on the other side of that, making mistakes, fumbling the ball away, uh, Kevin Burke under pressure, throwing the ball in places where he clearly shouldn't, throwing up lame ducks that got intercepted. Um, you know, guys making, uh, you know, them, uh, make uh, Mountain Union making questionable and kind of crazy uh Unhinged type coaching decisions where they bring out the field goal unit for a 25 uh, yard or so field goal in the second quarter, and then they uh, they're they're short on time, so they take a timeout and they you know they double think themselves. They send the offensive unit back out, but not correctly and not well, and uh, you have a, a penalty and that knocks them back five yards. So then the field goal unit comes running back out on the field and Runke misses a 30 yarder, and that those are things that I would not have uh, seen likely. In the previous era of Mount Union football. Whether we define this as a new era of Mount Union football or not, this is an aberration type game and year. Well, it, it certainly wasn't their finest
1: hour. Uh, you know, obviously, not being able to get lined up correctly when you send the offense back out on the field is uh, is, is not good and not very un Mount Union like. But it's not the point, necessarily, that turned the game, in my opinion. I thought you alluded to it as we started here, where it was 21-14, Mount Union gets the ball to start the second half. Marshall Rutherford, the defensive tackle for Whitewater, gets behind Bradley Mitchell, and he's the third man to the ball, so he doesn't have to make the tackle. He gets behind him, rips the ball loose. Bradley Mitchell, just a uh, 165-pound guy, strong for maybe his size, but, uh, but not stronger than Marshall Rutherford, a big 262-pound uh, senior Defensive tackle for Whitewater. He rips the ball loose falls on it and uh, Whitewater drives down and scores And then I thought there was a big drive for Mountain Union where the game was still close at that point It may have been uh, may have been 31 14 may have even been uh, 24 14 while this drive took place but uh, Mountain Union desperately trying to hang on and giving a great effort still defensively, but uh, but shooting itself in the foot somewhat because uh, that the Whitewater puts together what, uh, what it turns out to be a very, very long touchdown drive. They converted a 3rd and 15. They converted a 3rd and 11. They got two pass interference first downs. One of those pass interference calls was on the 3rd and 15. And also, Mountain Union on that drive had two players with the ball in their hands uh, for what would have been an interception, and uh, each guy drops it. I think Trey Jones was one of them, and the other one was uh, was Gunnell, the linebacker. Each of those guys had a chance to stifle that drive, and that was the backbreaker to me after that. That's when the wheels came off.
0: You know, you think of uh, uh, another situation in which uh, the... Uh Purple Raiders go for it. They have a uh, third and six at the 14. Kevin Burke tries a keeper. Doesn't go anywhere. Fourth and five from the 13. Instead of bringing Runke back out to try to attempt another 30-yard field goal, they keep Burke in. And Burke just has – there's nothing he can do. He just gets flattened. Uh, Bratchett drops him for a loss of six yards, and they turn the ball over on downs. Neither one of those two potential field goal situations you know, changes the nature of the game at the end. But if they'd had both of those, that's a 28-20 game, and it's a little bit of a different story at yeah, that
1: point. Yeah, and, and I, you know, we're, we're just talking about the roadmap of how did we get to 52-14 because yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a blowout from the beginning. But you could flip it and say Mountain Union really – never move the ball, I shouldn't say never, but rarely move the ball against this Whitewater defense. And that's something that we can say held true the entire season. Remember Mount Union's first touchdown drive was set up when, uh, when the snap went over Matt Barron's head and, uh, and he wasn't able to fall on it. Mount Union fell on it and scored in one quick play, but that was, a, that was a one play drive. But other than that, not much success going up and down the field for Mount Union. And when he did have a little bit of success, they weren't able to punch it in and get points.
0: Mountain Union's second half drives. We mentioned uh, the one that ended in the BJ Mitchell fumble. Two plays for 26 yards. They had a 53-yard drive. They had a 47-yard drive, a 41-yard drive, and then a one-yard drive, a 21-yard drive, and a two-yard drive. Which, you know, obviously the game at that point had already been decided. Um, You know, we talked about, uh, you know, Brady Graveld obviously an interception return for the touchdown. Is you know the game was already pretty much in hand at that point. Mountain Union moved the ball a little bit. Struggled inside the red zone, you know, frankly barely got into the red zone other than when they were uh, Deposited in the red zone frankly, there's that one drive obviously at the end of the second quarter and then very unmountain Union like the rest of the way Yeah, and and the thing
1: to me that stands out is that it I don't know if we would have foreseen this coming in. We certainly could have foreseen a great defensive effort By the Warhawks nobody went over 17 on them all year Linfield was the was the team to hit 17
0: and uh, actually wash no, you're right it was uh, um uh, one of the uh, WIAC opponents, also.
1: Yep, uh, Oshkosh, and, and uh, got a chance down there at the end of the uh, post game to pull Lance Leipold aside and ask him uh, which which team was the best. That was off camera. Okay, by the way. Just Although he didn't, we didn't say not for attribution, so we can talk about it okay. here in, in the podcast um, as we as we go through. Probably by the end of the podcast, we'll talk about what our top five should be because I think this result here. Through what would be a very easy vote, usually the two teams in the Stag Bowl are one and two. Occasionally we think about what the implications are for teams further down the line, but I think in this case, the 52-14 victory for the Warhawks, very resounding and makes you wonder if Mary Hart and Baylor had been here today, would they have won the Stag Bowl? If Linfield had been healthy, would they have advanced? Uh, it was a certainly certainly a very tough end of the bracket that Whitewater came out of. and you. you the thing I love about D3 and I love about the postseason is Whitewater had to go through St. Norbert and Franklin. But then in the last three weeks, the number two team in our poll in the quarterfinals in Linfield, the number three team in our poll, uh, Mary Hart and Baylor, and then the number one team in our poll in, in Mountain Union. And those three teams were the teams all season that were getting the number one votes. Whitewater wasn't getting any of those number one votes. So had it been a system where the two polls set the teams up. Whitewater wouldn't have even been here. They earned their way here, and they won in resounding fashion. You know, the flip side to that is maybe if Mary Harden-Baylor goes for it <laughs> last week on 4th uh, on and 3 and gets it, maybe Whitewater isn't even here today and we don't see this 52-14 game. So uh, that's something that we have to think about before we file our final ballots. How close was Mount Union? I mean, how close was Mary Harden-Baylor? to Whitewater. How close was Linfield to Whitewater, and how does that compare to this result here with the
0: Raiders today? Indeed. It, it, they did come out of a tough half of the bracket. People could uh, certainly make the argument that the three best teams in Division III football were in that half of the bracket. Let me, um, can we go, let, let's rewind a little bit back to the preseason. Uh, Whitewater comes in. They were 7-3 and last year. You know, they looked lost, frankly, in a lot of places. They looked really lost, uh, especially on offense. Uh, but, you know, over the course of the last couple of games, I mean, Matt Barrent for as much as he was clearly better uh, at quarterback than the guy he replaced, um, you know, they still, uh, they still lost to Oshkosh. He came in the middle of that game, sparked him for about a quarter, and then in the fourth quarter, uh, it, things settled back down. And then they lost to Wisconsin Stevens Point after that with Behrendt at quarterback and, and looked bad doing that, too. Um, but still coming into the season. They were the number nine team in our preseason poll. Um, and they moved up to number five. They passed a couple of the teams in front of them um, who didn't lose. Uh, teams such as Hobart, for example, I believe was in front of them. Ran the table in the regular season, uh, but Whitewater passed them. And I believe they passed Bethel also. Bethel was ahead of them in the preseason and Whitewater passed them. But then, you know, there was the four teams ahead of them were North Central and Linfield and Mary Hart and Baylor and Mountain Union. Not in that order, I got the order wrong, but you get the idea. You know, these were those five teams and six—if you thought it was—if um, you thought it was Bethel at some point or Wesley, as it showed to be in the postseason—those were the six teams that were head and shoulders above everybody else. It's not like was maybe mentioned in the post game that we wrote them off at the beginning of August. This is a top 10 team that we had a lot of faith in, maybe more faith frankly than they should have been uh should have been shown considering the way the preseason or the way the previous season went. Um and so even though, you know, they're number 5 coming into the day, it's not like you couldn't conceive of Whitewater winning the national championship. There's plenty of history to suggest that.
1: No, I mean, we, we, we thought all those teams were pretty close, and the results last week bore that out. Yep. And, and going and back the week to the quarterfinals. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Those, those results bore that out, and I don't think uh, anything that we saw before this week indicated 52-14 was coming. You're right, Pat. Most most teams that go 7-3, and three, or that were 7-3 and three last season, don't start in, in the top 25. Whitewater... Uh, They didn't move up quickly. I thought the the Wash U game at the time was a bit of a surprise. Wash U led that game uh, late. Uh, Whitewater ends up winning 17-7. Watch. You turned out to be a playoff team, and, uh, and and played Franklin tough in in the first round. So that you know, with hindsight, that game looks a little that looks a little bit less surprising. But then you really don't buy into Whitewater. I think until the October 26 game against Oshkosh. they beat them 17-14. Then the next week they have to play Platteville. Both of those teams were ranked all season. I think at that point, that's when uh, when everybody really started to
0: buy in uh, to Whitewater as a, as a top five team. Indeed. The uh, other things that we need to talk about in the course of this post-game show slash podcast, uh, we have to name the Offensive-Defensive Player of the Year and the Coach of the Year. <clears throat> we uh, Keith mentioned we definitely should talk about who uh, the top teams on our ballots are. Uh, there's a, we're going to file them here in the next 24 hours, right? Yeah? Uh, no, 18, 12? That'd be great. Sometime between now and 18, 12. Um, and... Pat's loopy. Um, it's not yet, but it's getting there. Uh, it's my old age. I'm 41. Um, it's a, there was one more piece I wanted to talk about. Guys who, over the course of the last couple weeks, played their way onto the preseason All-American team for next year. So those are a, a couple of things I wanted to talk about. And maybe um, you know, I want to start with that now, uh, because that's a, that's a piece that is kind of doesn't uh, depend on some of the others. Uh, in our pregame show, you... Uh, may have heard or seen us uh, name and release our All-American teams. We also posted that on the website before the game started, and you can uh, see those if you haven't already. People who weren't included um, because they weren't nominated and because, you know, the course of their regular season uh, may not have uh, distinguished them necessarily to get here. Uh, Brady Gravold, who had six interceptions in the playoffs. You know, um, Sherman Wilkinson who had uh, seven touchdowns in the last six games or so, something like that for mountain union and has a year of eligibility left, even though he's uh, listed as a senior found that out this week. Um, Guys like uh, Matt Barrett had a fantastic game here tonight. They've, uh, I mean, he's had those kind of efficient games all season. They've, Kept him under wraps a little bit. But, boy, he looked fantastic tonight, and he ran when he needed to as well. I think all of those guys are guys we're going to be talking about in 2014 very heavily.
1: Yeah, I think your main guy who, who played himself onto the All-American team certainly uh – Certainly, Barrett. The, the four quarterbacks are Kevin Burke. Uh, Burke didn't have his best night tonight, but he was outstanding for the first 14 games. Spencer Stanick went toe-to-toe with Burke last week and certainly uh, moved the offense up and down the field. John Kelly for Platteville, same thing. That's our third teamer, Nash Nance, Hampton, Sydney. Saw what he did uh, this entire season and in the first half out at Linfield in the second round of the playoffs. The four quarterbacks that made it all certainly really deserving, but nobody looked better tonight on this field and 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 that's taken into account the great offensive line defensive line play and and defensive play for whitewater nobody looked better than uh than matt barrett It, it wasn't just the the efficiency although that was there and that was outstanding uh it was the you know the ability that that he tucked it and ran when he had to, and that's, just, that's part smart decision-making and, and part just taking what, uh, what the, the defense gives you, and he talked about it. He's the quote from the post game is he said, ball security over everything. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> One interception all season kind of talk, talks to that. Exactly, and, and the only time uh, Mountain Union put one drive together and they got one touchdown off, off a rare Whitewater turnover, bad snap over, over the head of Barrett, and, uh, and that led to that touchdown. So that ball security, you know, the reason – we called them conservative coming into the game, and, and the reason they were able to play that way is because they have great defense. They don't turn the ball over. They they opened it up, I thought, tonight. Uh, Coach Leipold said that that's the way they played uh, all season, and, and they just hit more of those plays tonight, <laughs> which uh, which uh, clear, was evident. Barrett, his final numbers, 20 of 28. Two hundred forty-nine yards passing, four touchdowns, long pass of uh, of forty yards, and then those rushing numbers, six for fifty-six, uh, nine point three yards a carry. He's someone who came into the game with a negative total rushing on the season, on fifty-nine carries, obviously including his sacks. But tonight he was he was an asset, and and he definitely played his way onto
0: that preseason All-American team. Um, that means if you're a Nash Nance fan, by the way, that's the spot that's in jeopardy. Uh, the, the other two guys, right, are seniors. Stanek was a senior. Kelly was a senior. Burke will Burke, be back. <clears throat> Burke will be back. Nash will be back. And, and uh, by the way, that Matt Barrett guy who was, you know, theoretically, you could think of him as being just one spot off the All-American team because he was the third team region guy out of the West, and the two guys ahead of him each made the All-American team. So... Matt Barrett could have easily been as best as the uh, number five, fifth best quarterback in Division Three, and uh, he played his way up tonight. Yeah, he wasn't
1: bad coming in by any means. No, but but, but the the offensive explosion that we saw tonight and it was it was in the clutch it was on third downs it was going down the field to Jake Kumoro and to Tyler Huber who by the way having him healthy get healthier as the playoffs went yeah. on gave the the whitewater offense that, that, that extra dimension I, I think it's really tough for it for any D3 team to be able to cover a 65 195 pounder in Kumoro a guy who can who, who's just as comfortable running precise routes as he is going down the field going up and, and getting the ball and then Huber who, who is also 195 but at 6'2 he's tall but I, he plays more like a big body guy someone who go who can go up and uh you know if Barrett just throws it up there Huber can go up and get it and we saw him make uh one touchdown catch like that tonight where um the you know defensive back was in position and uh, and Huber was just the only one to go up and get it
0: uh, you're listening to d3football.com post-game coverage of Stag Bowl 41-52 14 Whitewater with the win over Mount Union also the final around the nation podcast for the season. Let me ask you Keith this is your first time seeing uh, Jordan Ratliff in person? Um, you know obviously he doesn't have the breakaway speed of, of a Vell Coppage necessarily or the breakaway speed power combination of Justin Beaver. Where do you think he kind of ranks in the pantheon of running backs?
1: Well, it's certainly early to rank him. Uh, against Coppage and Beaver, the, the way they rank their whole career um, or careers. But um but I, I think of this as a as a defensive player. Would I want to tackle a guy that's about two hundred ten pounds and uh in five eleven that's a stocky 210. Yeah. You know, do you want that guy coming, coming at you? Uh, you're a hundred and, hundred and something-pound defensive back. Do you want to take him on the open field? The answer is no. He runs hard, and the thing I like about him is, uh, and this works great with, uh, with Whitewater's zone blocking scheme, is he's patient, and then when he sees his hole, the decision is quick. He shoots right through it, and, uh, and he, he's running hard. He's running downhill. Uh, I know they like Booker Ross. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Givens will be back next year. Maybe he'll be playing defense because he's also he was also listed as the, the second string corner. If, maybe if they feel uh, comfortable with with Ratliff and Ross, maybe Givens will play defense. Uh, Givens is a junior. Ross was a freshman this season. Ratliff though emerged as the guy over the playoffs. Came in 200 carries, uh, 100, excuse me, 1113 yards and seven touchdowns, uh, six receptions out of the backfield. That's what he came into the Stag Bowl with, but he had a huge huge stag bowl and and not that many of those yards were racked up after the game was out of hand a lot of those yards were key yards um, during the key points of the game. 28 carries for 146 yards, two touchdowns, uh, average five yards a carry. So uh, going forward, you know he may be another
0: person who played himself onto a uh, one of the preseason teams. And Brady Graveld, obviously. We knew about this guy coming into tonight, so tonight was not a particular breakout for him necessarily. He had three picks in uh, one of the playoff games, had six picks over the course of the uh, playoffs and returned two of them for touchdowns. And Obviously, he played really well. In a time where... Marcus McClendon, I think, is the guy who came into the playoffs as the better-known quarterback out of those two guys Brady Gravold really showed. Yeah, he, he was a ball hawk.
1: And, and the, the thing about it, too, is he, he was a nice tackler as well. He came up and made a big stick tonight. And, uh, you know, he, people who had watched Whitewater play had praised his tackling as much as his playmaking on the ball. Uh, but the, uh, the interception he took back tonight was, uh, was uh, the, sort of the capper on this one. You know, the thing I thought was interesting, they, they said that they're, they're drilling. This is Grayvold talking in the postseason. He says they they do the same drills every Tuesday that they do, they start them in the postseason. So they're still working on their, their basic fundamentals, their footwork, getting in and out of their breaks and, and that time, you know, and then they're going against Huber and Kumaro in practice. And Matt Barrett, who's honestly, when he throws his his ball comes out, it's quick, it's 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 uh, thrown on a rope, and it's there. That the outs, you know, he doesn't put any air under it when he throws to the sideline. It comes it comes in there almost on a straight line, and you know you go against that and practice every day. You work on your footwork every day, and your 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 defensive backs have a chance to get better over the the course of a season. And, and to be honest, the defense for Whitewater, they're they're going to need guys like uh, like Grayvold. To, to play really well uh, next season. They're gonna, they lose LaSant Minette. They lose not just the three linebackers, <laughs> they yeah. lose their, their fourth best linebacker as well. And Josh Williams, uh, he played really well, but they lose Ryan Cortez, the Gallardi finalist, Cole Klotz, they, used, they lose Kyle Wismer, and they lose one senior in the secondary, and Andrew Keister. So. Pretty much the whole offense is back for Whitewater. Tyler Huber and Steve Morris, the two key players who are going to graduate. Um, Chris Davis as well. You know him better than I do yeah. from, uh, from basketball, but he's a senior. Those are the only seniors on the Whitewater offense. The Whitewater defense, um, though, is going to replace about half of it. But these guys, a blowout win in the Stag Bowl tonight and an
0: opportunity to get a lot better. Yeah. Whitewater won. Number one, I should say. Not people, everybody at home couldn't see me thinking in my head. Whitewater with a numeral one. Uh, oh. Mary Hardin Baylor two. Linfield three. Mount Union four. North Central five. Wesley six. Bethel seven. Can I bring? Well, I think I think of bringing Wesley back up. I think Wesley uh, did enough all season to deserve being in this part of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, They certainly got better as time went on. Um, That's probably the only, that's probably the big oddball pick. I see Frank over in the corner shaking his head at that uh, about the Wesley thing. But frankly, the rest of it is, I, I, Mount Union was not better tonight, certainly, than those teams. The OAC was down. They had a lot of new coaches, a lot of young teams. Um, they th- 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 did play, they did play and beat two good teams in the playoffs, which, you know, frankly, they haven't had to do in a lot of previous years, beat two teams, two good teams before Salem. But, you know, either one of those games that Whitewater played the last two weeks would have been better to have here tonight.
1: Teams, you mean? It's no, I
0: mean the games would have been better games. Oh, better like a 16-15 game
1: or, yeah. or a 28-17 game. Sure. And, uh, you know, the, the, the turned out the semifinals were the high points as far as as far as competitive games tonight wasn't the most competitive game but it it's it's a good and a bad thing for for division three to to have a stag bowl like this to have your your team that's that's on the top go down hard but at the same time you know whitewater is now the big dog five out of the past six years everyone who who has um well, five out of the last six meetings against Mountain Union. Five out of the last seven years, of course, Mountain Union won the Stag Bowl last year against St. Thomas when Whitewater wasn't even in the postseason. And one thing that Mountain Union never does is, is have a seven and three season. So we'll compliment them for that. But uh, to, to rewind a little bit, I agree with you on the top five. I may put Bethel at six instead of Wesley. Not sure about that. Remember, Wesley fell behind 31-0 in that game and then, uh, and then opened things up. We saw Wesley in the second round against Ithaca, uh, won that game twenty three-fifteen. But then you know, you you go further down, I think that that also speaks well of, of how the Empire Eight was this year. Remember that the the other big upset in the playoffs is uh is St. John Fisher beating John Carroll in the snow in the first round. You talked about the OAC being down. Often when we said the OAC was one of the top conferences, it was because it wasn't just Mountain Union, but it was the second team that got in the playoffs, did did something uh, really well, and uh, this time St. John Fisher um, upset John Carroll, so he didn't have that second successful team from the OAC. So uh, so I, I think, you know, you, once you get below that tier, that top seven is, is pretty consistent, and the playoffs shifted it because uh, Wesley didn't come into the postseason, certainly as, as one of the teams in the top seven. And then, of course, we have our, uh, our friendly <laughs> East Region representative here, Frank, giving
0: his... Top eight, and he's going to. Yeah, sneak- this is like it's election night 2000 here with uh, with the whiteboard. Oh. Is he is he erasing things and uh, rearranging them? We've got. Um we, this is an East region ballot. We got Whitewater 1, Mary Harden-Baylor 2, Mountain Union 3, Linfield 4, North Central 5, Bethel 6, St. John Fisher 7, which is a big jump for them, but I mean they won two games and they played credibly against Mary Harden-Baylor and then Wesley 8. Now, playing credibly against Mary Harden-Baylor, frankly, is something that a lot of teams had, did not do, haven't done in, uh, in the playoffs, in the quarterfinals, in the playoffs hasn't happened a lot. Well, it's
1: also no shock that uh, that, that Frank would would have the highest opinion of the highest-ranked uh, East Region team among the three of us. But certainly there, there's an argument for it. The the win over John Carroll, the win over Hobart, and then going down to Mary Harden-Baylor uh, and, and, and playing that game, as you mentioned, respectively. Certainly uh, looked, you know, was a respectable playoff performance for St. John Fisher. I thought Ithaca was, uh, w- was, was pretty decent in the playoffs as well. So the, the Empire 8 represented itself pretty well. You got. Um, Say that you get, again. You get to that. You get to that second level of teams, Pat, and we'll probably release the uh, the, the top twenty-five even before we release the podcast. But but
0: not, probably not, actually, but we'll see how people vote. But go on.
1: The, uh, the you know there's there's, gonna, there's a good argument, I think, once you get past that top seven, where does uh, where does Wisconsin Platteville yeah. rank? Wittenberg, Oshkosh, yeah, teams that yeah yeah teams that didn't make the postseason, but. Uh, Lance Leipold talked about it in in the uh, I pulled him aside after the post game and and uh, asked him who he thought the best team he played was because Mountain Union wasn't their best night out here um, and then I, you know I want to use that for for my ballot because um you know thinking about putting Mary Harden Baylor two and Linfield three and and the thing that that he said that was surprising, um, you know he mentioned Mary Harden Baylor and Linfield. Probably as the best two teams that they played, but the, the surprising thing he said, you know, he said a healthy Linfield would have scared the the heck out of him. <laughs> is that the is that the quote? Uh, yeah, he definitely said he definitely said heck. He's okay. a, he's a, a nice enough guy, and I I um he didn't we didn't say it wasn't for attribution, so I hope he doesn't mind me sharing that fact. But um, you're right. Linfield had some key injuries. Some you know the, the you know it was started in the early in the season with uh, with Brennan losing Brennan Highland, and then you know Tyler um, Tyler Steele later in the season Josh uh, Hill right before the that that game right Charlie poppin w- was out and and Lin- Linfield you know they made the most of it I think they did about as much as they could with uh, with the kind of a band aided over roster hey made up a new word band- for the last podcast over roster band Band dated, band aided yeah. over roster. Sweet, we keep it going. Um, <laughs> no, but but they they patched up their roster to a degree, and uh, and and you know put that comeback together t- after falling behind twenty one three against Hampton. Sydney took a seventeen zero lead on Whitewater, so it was. Uh, um, they I know they were disappointed because they thought they had a chance to get here to Salem, and uh, but at the same time they did about as much as they could with with uh, with what they had, and, and considering who they they lost to. Linfield is certainly in the discussion uh, for, for votes at number two, but I think you have to go with, uh, with Mary Harden-Baylor uh, because they, they had a chance to, uh, to win that game in the final minute. 16-15 ends up being the final. I could talk about this stuff all night, but the podcast, we try to keep it to a, to a uh, nice,
0: clean one hour <laughs> or so. Uh, this is the uh, production crew in the background. uh I wants us to, to move along. They're packing up stuff. Um, <coughs> Defensive player of the year. Um, I felt coming into the game, we probably really had two candidates, Shane Durking of North Central, Cole Klotz of Whitewater. Do you have another candidate do you feel like discussing? Um, well, it doesn't I, have to be limited to the guys who were regional defensive players of the year, but those are certainly guys who were.
1: Well, I, I'll tell you this. I saw Durking play last week, and, and um, I saw Klotz play tonight. It's true. Good snow, snow was a big difference. You know, Dirking had to had to play on the snow, um, but they both played the same Mountain Union offense, and uh, the Whitewater defense dominated. Klotz did make a couple of big plays, a couple of big pressures on early too,
0: early too. Remember he he broke through the line of scrimmage on yep. a read option and completely blew up B.J. Mitchell, and they never they didn't go back to that very much after that.
1: Well, and, and I, I think you know they Mountain Union did what it does. It tried it tried to run read option, but there weren't too many times where where Burke was able to pull it. And, um, and, and run with it, which was, you know, he ran 28 times against North Central. And then there was a, um, there was a time they tried to invert it, basically, and let, uh, let Logan Nemeth run outside, and Burke, you know, it, was, it looked like read option, but Burke kept it up the middle, and it, w- it looked like it was designed to go that way. But they, uh, they, the Mount, they, they Mountain Union was not able to run the ball at all against Whitewater. And you take the whole body of work from the Whitewater defense all season. Again, we'll mention this stat, nobody. Went over 17 on them. Platteville scored 16. Oshkosh scored 14. Stout 13. Buff State uh, 14. But it was, you know, even Linfield and Mary Harden, Baylor and Mountain Union. All three of those those teams came in against yeah, Whitewater, averaging approximately 50 points a game. Each of them came in uh, touting itself by one stat or another, by one measure or another, the number one offense in the country, and Whitewater shut them all down. Cole clots was a, was a major factor in all those games. So I, I think that's where you uh, – that issue, that answers the question. that that, uh, that I'll go with Cole
0: Klotz for the uh, Defensive Player of the Year. I can't argue with that. I agree. Cole Klotz, the Senior Linebacker for the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater is the 2013 D3Football.com Defensive Player of the Year. Coach of the Year. Again, Coach of the Year is not always uh, limited, especially this is the one that is uh, especially not limited to guys who are the uh, Regional Coach of the Year. Um, but I think that I don't know if I really even want to talk about, on a national level anyway, uh, somebody other than Lance Leipold. I mean, we talked, I did just spend a few minutes earlier in the podcast talking about how we did think Whitewater was the preseason number nine team, and obviously they did improve on that, but we always thought that Whitewater was capable of doing something like this. I don't know who else we would talk about, There is obviously some... Guys who did great coaching jobs in those first 11 weeks. Um, you know, guys who we uh, have already uh, honored, like Paul Vossberg and like Tom Arth. Uh, we could talk about uh, Chuck Goldstein of Gallaudet, for example, as being a guy who did a, a great coaching job this year for them. I'm not sure it's National Coach of the Year level, um, but a great coaching job there. I you know, Texas Lutherans coach did a pretty good job this year. Uh, you know, Winfield. Bethel. There's a lot of people we could talk about. I just think that Lance Leipold, the distance between what Whitewater was last year and what they were this year is is fairly significant.
1: Well, th- this wasn't the best Whitewater team, but they had the biggest Whitewater blowout here in Salem. And, uh, and look, Goldstein and um, and the one you just mentioned, and, and Arth? Tom Arth, yes. Uh-huh. Those were the two guys who I thought uh, had the most surprising seasons. I didn't see John Carroll coming. The uh, first nine games, 33 points allowed, then they gave up 42 to Mount Union, lost to St. John Fisher. So the ending wasn't there uh, for Arth, but I thought uh, his team was a big surprise this season, getting them back to the level that they were at when he was the quarterback for them, and he did it right away in one season. I thought Goldstein making Gallaudet, uh, Gallaudet, Gal. Gallaudet, no, don't pronounce the U. Uh, making those guys relevant nationally was a uh, was a big factor. You know, obviously they weren't competitive in the postseason. Went up to Hobart, lost thirty-four-seven. But 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 taking a program that had been a, a club status at some point and and, and you know didn't even field a, a, a full ten games now to be a playoff team, I thought that was outstanding. And I'm a big who did the most with the least kind of guy when yeah. it comes to when it comes to Coach of the Year. But I, I, I think that that plays right into the hands of, of Namy and Lance Leipold, the coach of the year, when you talk about what he had to work with on offense, go across that front line, that offensive line. He had one junior, not starting. Yeah. He had one junior yeah. a, as an offensive lineman in, in the program. Okay, the starters, sophomore, sophomore, freshman, junior. That's Lucas Skiba. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll Honorable name, mention right, all America. Erica. Uh, Kepnick, freshman. Uh, Connor Peters got in the game a bunch in the stag bowl. He was also a sophomore, so he, uh, he, didn't ha- he had but two seniors on offense. One of them hurt a good bunch of the time in Tyler Huber. He, he didn't have nearly as much to work with, although uh, Jay Kumaro turned out to be a revelation. Matt Barrett went to him midseason last, last year. Turned out that was a great decision that he made last year that, that may have factored into him being coach of the year this year. But, um, and, and to think about all the close games that he coached in, Right, and he, he made all the right decisions uh, against Oshkosh. That's a three-point game. You have a ten-point game against uh, Stevens Point, and then and then Linfield 28-17. Mary harden baylor 16-15. He he made the right decisions in in the close games as well. So by any measure, you can name Lance Leipold the
0: uh, national coach of the year. Won't argue with that either. Lance Leipold of the University of Wisconsin Whitewater is the 2013 d3football.com coach of the year. Now that leads us to the Offensive Player of the Year, where we had a guy who was head, shoulders, and torso above everybody else coming into the evening and just did not have a particularly great game. And that's, of course, we're talking about Kevin Burke. Also the Gallardi Trophy winner, also the 2013 North Region Offensive Player of the Year. And in all honesty, I just don't know who the other candidates would be. It's generally, you know, running back, wide receiver, quarterback. And it's really quarterback, running back, let's be honest. and. You know, does does Dominic Hayden rise into this conversation? Does Cartel Brooks rise into this conversation? Cartel Brooks had one yard at the half against Mountain Union and ended up with sixty some yards for the game. Um <clears throat> Kyle Linville, you know, had a had a great season, but is that good enough? Uh Anthony Davis for Widener. I'm not sure. Either of our starting running backs, either of our wide receivers, really jump into this conversation now. And I see Frank furiously writing. I think he's about to call Florida for oh. Gore. Pass it
1: to me first before you pass it to Frank. Go for it. <laughs> Look, Kevin Burke. If you only saw him play tonight, you wouldn't name him the, uh, the the player of the year. It's simple. It just wasn't his best game. Went against the best defense in the country, and the best defense won. Now he had a, he had his numbers looked okay tonight, but. If you watched him over the course of the season, all right, he did anything Mountain Union needed. In the last uh, last week, North Central drives down, takes the lead with 1:38 left on the clock. Mountain Union three plays, 31 seconds, game-winning touchdown in the clutch. Cool and calm in the clutch. He had 28 carries last week. They were down against Wittenberg. He led them back. They were they were they needed points in the second half when Wesley started pouring it on and. Whenever Wesley made that game close, Mount Union was able to get they only had two touchdowns in the second half, but those were key touchdown drives because Wesley was coming. And and everybody in Alliance will tell you if that game would have lasted five minutes longer, Wesley probably wins that one. But but Burke came up with a key drive then and he led the team down the field for the game winning drive when they trailed against Franklin in the first game of the season. So what quarterback out there can 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 match the numbers? Match the accomplishments, match the leadership, and say uh, I made that many clutch plays. Nobody did it th- as deep in the playoffs as uh, as Burke, except for Matt Barron. That's the only other guy you, you can you can talk about. I guess can you pl- can one game? Can you play yourself from third team all region into offensive
0: player of the year? No, and so I'm just trying to play devil's advocate and not having anybody to advocate for, right? As you said, there's not another quarterback who can really do that. Uh, No, I don't think either of our running backs leaps into this conversation and neither of our wide receivers leaps into this conversation. You know, Frank is furiously drawing numbers over there and ignoring some things that I really uh, thought were salient. But again... This is a moot point. I don't think we can find anybody else to really put in this conversation. And Burke did all those great things against a couple of great teams, uh, a lot of them against a, a really down OAC. Uh, but, you know, two of them in the quarterfinals and semifinals that really cemented him. Really, I think this kind of thing was one last week when it was either Burke or Stanek who was going to be the first team All-America quarterback. Burke outplayed Stanek enough. Uh, he certainly ran the ball really well. Stanek ran the ball surprisingly well against them like Barrett did here tonight, but you know, not enough to uh, not enough to win that game, and he completed just over 50% of his passes, and uh, I agree. Kevin Burke should be the 2013 D3Football.com Offensive Player of the Year.
1: Yeah, and, and it's Player of the Year, not Player of the Week 15.
0: Uh, no, we're not doing an honor roll for Week uh, 15 or 16 or any of the other postseason weeks because it's the end of the 2013 football season. But, huh, well, we thought, uh, remember all the weeping and gnashing of teeth at the beginning of the week in which the, uh, the two teams that had a shot to knock these teams off and change the, uh, the color scheme in Salem failed to do so. They both lost by a point. Uh, here we get a completely different look. We get the blowout. And wow, just what a way to end a 2013 season.
1: Well, it maybe makes that weeping and gnashing even more painful cuz those guys think if we could have just got past ugh, like Mary Harden Baylor we had whitewater we had them and then uh and then turns out they didn't and and whitewater comes here and and uh and, and wins by blowout tonight north central would they have beaten whitewater not the way whitewater played tonight but it, they would have had a good time uh coming down here and being part of it and I think this sends Mountain Union not back to the drawing board, but back to the weight room, back back to the you know for for look for Vince Karras to have won championships as a player twice as a player, if I remember correctly, eight times as an assistant coach. All right, so he so he's uh, born into it, literally born into to winning, and then uh, for him to for. Take over as head coach, win his first fourteen games, and then have to deal with some adversity and not this is not going to be like um ah, you know we just ran into a, a whitewater team that was a little bit this is like this is bad for mountain Union and you better believe they're go- they're gonna uh hit the recruiting trail they're gonna they're gonna um you know examine basically everything they did not just tonight but the past three weeks because I thought defensively um you know, they, I don't know if exposed is the word, but certainly they were, they were put on notice that they got to they gotta get back to where they were defensively. And that also speaks a lot to the kind of players that they lost last year from Nick, Dris- Nick Driscoll, Charles Diesel, and all those great players they had defensively that they lost. It, it goes to show that, you know, just because it says Mount Union on the jersey doesn't mean you're automatically going to get back here. Karras was very adamant. He said, it, he said this to you in the pregame. He also said it in the postgame. He felt like this year's team overachieved remember they replaced they had 10 new starters on offense seven new starters on defense I thought once the game started I wasn't going to mention that stat anymore but it keeps coming up and it's relevant in this point because all just about this whole team that was on the field tonight will be back for Mountain Union next year plus whoever they bring into the fold new so uh so I, I think it sends us into next season with a degree of of curiosity you have Whitewater bringing the whole offense back. You have Mountain Union bringing practically the whole team back. You have these Mary Harden, Baylor, and North Central teams that were very close. North Central, I think, was, was senior-laden. Wesley, very young. Linfield, can they get healthy? You know, they're going to lose some key players, but that's a, that's a program that's been on the cusp. I thought North Central got a chance a little bit to, to legitimize itself the first time it made, it made it to the semifinals this year. So now I think you got six Six teams, plus whoever wins the MIAC, whether it ends up being St. Thomas, Bethel, St. John's, that's a team that's always going to be a factor when it gets into the postseason. Maybe the second MIAC team is a factor. I, I think next year, um, oh, I'll mention the East Region team for Frank, St. John Fisher. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> wow. <it laughs> They're, they're, they're good at football. No, I know. In all, in all honesty, Mark Myers is back for John Carroll. There's, there's a lot of injury going into next season. Obviously, Whitewater. I, I'd be willing to bet right now, although, then, you know, that, that, that they get all 25 votes in the preseason. Although, if I made that bet, then somebody could just not vote for them to make me lose the bet.
0: Well, they're going to go back in uh, December and uh, go back through the December podcast to find that out. Lance polled 94-6. In his career in Division Three, last storyline-type thought before we get into the thank yous and the wrap-up. He's been talked about for higher-level jobs uh, over the course of the last couple off-seasons. I assume those things are going to be talked about again. If you were a coach, wouldn't you want to hire him? I mean, he's, he's not too old.
1: Nope. He's, uh, he, was a, he was a player in, in the late 80s has been an offensive coordinator in D2, came here and done nothing but win here at Whitewater. You mentioned not only the 94-6, and six, yeah. and the team was pre-made at that point. Berezowicz had it to, uh, to a level where it had gotten the two stag bowls and he needed somebody to, uh, to get it over the top. They went to their, their um, former quarterback who'd been a successful coach and, uh, and handpicked him, and that was a s- selection that at the time wasn't unanimous in, <laughs> in Whitewater, wasn't right. loved, but clearly, with hindsight, was the right decision. Uh, I don't think anybody at Whitewater would be too mad if he got poached and went somewhere higher. Um, I, I'm sure he loves it there. It's his alma mater, and, and, and uh, I, I'm sure he'd be glad to stay. But at the same time, he's done everything he can do. He's won with a ready-made team. He's won with one of the best teams in history. And he won this year with a team that had you know, brand new offense coming off of adversity. Uh, You know, having to deal with, uh, win a lot of close games to get here. So, uh, you know, what else can you accomplish except all the things Larry Karras accomplished bringing his team here over and over again. It never got old for him because the group of kids was always new.
0: We wanna recognize our crew that helped us uh, throughout the course of this long day and uh, weekend of broadcasting everybody here for the City of Salem, uh, Carrie Harvey Cutter. Best wishes to Carrie Harvey Cutter who embarks on his, uh, this year on his new uh, role as uh, the head of tourism for the uh, City of Salem. and takes a bit of a step back from uh, the more active role he's been as the director of civic facilities. He has been uh, huge in the fact that the, they've hosted 21 Stag Bowls here, it's going to be at least 25. They've hosted uh, 70 NCA championships, most of them at the Division III level. Uh, he and his staff have always done a fantastic job. Uh, the folks at the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, Brad Bankston, the Commissioner, Assistant Commissioner, JJ Nekoloff, Molly Robertson, and the uh, rest of the crew around here, the ODAC SIDs who did stat crew tonight, uh, Dave Walters from Guilford, and Brian Lobsher from WNL, uh, and uh, all the support that we get from them, and SIDs from around the country as well over the course of the season including uh, Lenny Reich and Angela Kelm from Mountain Union and Whitewater here tonight and over the course of the weekend as well as uh, the staff from Middlebury and from Western Connecticut State uh, in support of the uh, Guardi Trophy Ceremony back on Wednesday night uh, Dave McHugh whose production team of one put this whole thing together and uh, including the The broadcast on Wednesday night, the how many hours have we been on the air? Six hours and 45 minutes and counting, uh, starting with the tailgate show back at 5 o'clock. Thanks to all of them. Thanks to everybody who's written for D3Football.com over the course of the season. I could name lots and lots of people. We'll talk about the people who are here. Uh, Keith, of course, Ryan Tips, and Adam Turrer. Thanks to Frank, who doesn't do any of those other things but shows up at the end of the season to provide analysis and anchor the tailgate show and this season anchor the Gallardi show and get great post-game interviews down in the field in, in violation, I'm sure, of all sorts of things. I'm gonna close with this, so no, no, just, what? Josh Smith. Josh Smith, who is here this weekend as a Around the West writer um, and writes for a local paper, uh, all the other people who write around the region and all the other people who have contributed over the course of uh, playoff coverage. The uh, photographers whose work you will see on the website over the course of the uh, next 24 hours as you come to see photo galleries and who helped uh, produce stuff tonight uh, and helped set up and tear down things. Uh, I'm talking about Ryan Coleman, Larry Radloff, Eric Kelly, thanks to all them and everybody else who works for our friends over at D3 Photo. Uh, Thanks to our families who put up with us not being here uh, not being there um and who tried to call me on my birthday and i was in the middle of a post game show and i could not pick up the phone which is sad that is the uh, that is the way of the world here your family would want you to
1: be happy on your birthday and i don't know what would make you happier probably a few things but uh, i don't know what would make you happier than than calling a uh, a stag bowl maybe a a, a 1514 instead of a 5214 or 5251. But uh but yeah, and and we should send a shout out to not only uh, the folks from Stone Station who put together a, a a great tailgate today, but uh but everybody who came out. Yeah. I saw a Kenyan shirt. I talked to somebody from Buffalo
0: State, Lebanon Valley.
1: Lebanon Valley was here, plus our normal Wesley, Bridgewater I- I- is where Stone Station is from, and then of course there's a representative from uh Union and Wabash and Washington Lee and Randolph Megan and Catholic and Goucher, on the staff. Goucher, <laughs> Goucher. Yes, that's how you it's say that. Since late <laughs> yeah. <eight. laughs> Dave McHugh, <laughs> they've never lost a Stag Bowl. <laughs> um, but but I and 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 this is in all seriousness. And thanks to everybody who listens to the podcast because the Pat I've said this all the time, but Pat and I the first time we did this, it was a ten minute podcast, and we figure who. Who wants to listen to us ramble for 10 minutes? And now <laughs> <Ten> people, minutes. <laughs> people listen to us ramble for... Um,
0: An hour 15.
1: Yes, and, and enjoy it. And as long as people enjoy it, we'll keep doing it. We'll keep making up new words. What was the word this week? band Yeah. So if you made it this far, you now have a new made-up word for your vocabulary. Thanks for, uh, for being part of the journey. It, it's, it really is um, the reason we still do it because uh, all of us have been through this experience either as students or as players, and I know when Pat and I were, were first doing this, the internet existed. But but certainly there was nothing like d3football.com to keep us all interconnected. And you wouldn't see something like Stone Station happen without all of us having this avenue through uh, through d3football.com to meet, to promote the game. And now we've got Twitter and Instagram and all these things that, that can help us uh, each share. Because as long as there's 244 teams, we'll never be able to, to go to all of them every Saturday. But we can sort of each share a little
0: bit of, uh, of each other's experience. Here's what I love about what Division Three football has become over the course of the uh, past decade or so. We have enough players in the NFL that we had a bet this weekend between the Whitewater guy in the NFL, Matt Blanchard, former quarterback, who has, you know, won some titles here, and Cecil Shorts, who has had You know, that kind of success as well. They had a bet on Twitter with their alma maters facing off here tonight in Stag Bowl 41. The loser had to put the winner's team logo as their avatar on Twitter. And so Cecil Shorts III has a Warhawk avatar on Twitter. That is the 2013 Division III football season. Our copyrighted broadcast is the property of D3Football.com and intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or the use of descriptions and accounts of this game without the express written consent of D3Football.com, the NCAA, and the City of Salem, and everybody else, is strictly prohibited. That's a lot of written consent. Our, I don't think anybody's going to get that much written consent. Yeah, uh, I think we might get some implied oral consent, but that's about it. So our next podcast will be. Next September, come on back. Kickoff will be the Tuesday, a week and a half before the uh, first game of the season. So get kickoff where Keith and I will rank all 245 teams in Division III football. Welcome, George Fox. You'll probably be pretty far down the list, but welcome to Division III football. We hope you like playing Linfield. Uh, that, That should be great for you. And for everybody else, the other 234 who are chasing Mount Union and now chasing Whitewater. It's an off season, you gotta work, you gotta work hard. You cannot depend on the NCAA to bracket us out of purple versus purple. Someone has to go beat Mount Union, someone has to go beat Whitewater, why not you? Good night everybody.